Father, our hearts particularly are saddened by the, the horrible news of what has gone on with the Jewish synagogue in, uh, I believe it was Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Uh, we pray for those families that are hurting right now in that community. We ask that you would please stop this horrendous evil of anti-Semitism. Thank you. And Father, we seek you, our lives. I know there are many here who are going through different things in their life that is, uh, they need you to come through. They need you to help them through whatever it is they're facing. And so we pray that you would strengthen us, that you would teach us this morning about faith and what it really means in the Bible. Uh, We want to grow. We want to learn. We want to be uh, your disciples. So please teach us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. That's page 656 in the Bibles we give away. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. And we're going through the book of Hebrews verse by verse. And today we're at chapter 11, which this chapter is a great chapter. We're actually going to probably spend maybe 10 weeks uh, uh, on this chapter just to focus on faith. This is the Hall of Fame of Faith. So I thought we'd watch a video clip first. Why don't we look at this? What if I can bring Dad back? How? How are you going to bring Dad back? I can move a mountain. You want to move a mountain? There's one. Go ahead. Move it. Was that an earthquake? It's a miracle. It's up to you to achieve the impossible. It takes courage to believe. Your father would be more than proud of you. Now, I have not seen the movie, so I'm not advocating it necessarily, but I just like the fact that he moved a mountain. That's pretty cool, right? You know, okay, because that's what we're talking about here, right? Okay, Matthew 11, verse 23 speaks of moving mountains by faith. And obviously, he's speaking figuratively. Most of the time, it's not actual mountains that we need moved, right? Uh, But we do have these difficulties in life. And God, many times, he gives us the strength to endure. He gives us the strength to go through or over the mountain. But sometimes, in his incredible power, He removes the mountain. He does the miracle that we need. And so we want to talk about that. What does it mean, this idea of faith? As I said, we're seeing here a hall of fame of faith. You've heard of hall of fames, right? You know, I think they have the NFL hall of fame is at Canton, Ohio, and then I think baseball has one. Well, I found some other hall of fames that they have. There's the national, let's see here, uh, let me start at the beginning here. There's the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame and Museum in Hayward, Wisconsin. Okay, that sounds like fun. It's got a big monster fish in front of it. Then there's the International Santa Claus Hall of Fame in in Santa Claus, Indiana. The World Kite Museum and Hall of Fame in Long Beach, Washington. 
Then we have the International Clown Hall of Fame. That's in Wisconsin again. Now, now I was not saying anything at all about that, okay? But go Vikings. And then there is the National Agriculture Center in Bonner Springs, Kansas. So it's kind of fascinating. But here we have the Hall of Fame of faith, these people. We're going to look at each one and what we can learn about biblical faith. Uh, What we will see are examples of faith, and these people saw mountains moved in their lives. Uh, We also need to remember what we just read in chapter 10, the very last verse that really segues into this Hall of Fame of Faith, what he says in verse 39 where it says, but we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. And we see here that perseverance is the demonstration of faith. Now in the first two verses of our chapter, we will see the definition of faith and that faith is what pleases God. Look at chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it our ancestors won God's approval. Here we see the definition of biblical faith that can actually move mountains in your life. And so we'll start out with the definition. Maybe. Definition of faith. Verse 1, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. My definition from this is that you hear God's word and you believe it with all your heart, okay? You hear God's word, what he says, you believe it, you believe it as true. Biblical faith believes what God says, okay? You hear God's word and you believe it. Faith is not just how to get stuff from God, okay? So that's typically what we think of when we think of faith. Okay, how, do, how can I get something from God? It's not just that. It is trusting in God and what he has revealed and promised. What is not seen, that phrase at the end, uh, proof of what is not seen, has an eschatological component to it, meaning it's pointing to the future, to the end. In the context It is speaking of trusting in God's plan all the way through to the end. Let me read something from George Eldon Ladd's Theology of the New Testament. He starts out quoting verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This statement involves both the transcendental and the eschatological character of the divine blessings. Those are a couple big words that he'll explain a little later, all right? Faith is that which makes real to the believer the unseen world of God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him, chapter 11, verse 6. Not in this life, but in the fulfillment of the promised salvation. The person of faith is the one who does not consider the visible world of human experience to be the world of ultimate values. Let me read that part again. 
The person of faith is the one who does not consider the visible world of human experience to be the world of ultimate values. He or she recognizes that above are the spiritual realities of God's kingdom, which cannot be perceived with the physical senses, but which are more real than the phenomenal world. There is an existential component to faith. What I mean, there is an aspect of faith that affects us now, okay? Uh, But Christians don't simply live for the now. We see the big picture. We're trusting in God's plan. So how does faith work, especially and specifically in prayer? Because that's what really matters, right? How does faith work in prayer? Let me give you some thoughts on biblical faith, okay? First of all, biblical faith is where we believe that God is able to do it. So whatever mountain you're praying about, whatever area... You believe that God is able to do it. Now, I want to be careful in what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that you have to believe that God is going to do it. Because he may not. I'm saying you believe that God is able to do it. There's a big difference there. Because if we say real faith is only you believe God is going to do it, then we build up this idea, this false idea in my belief, that it's all up to you to muster up the mound of faith where you don't have any doubts and you know it's going to happen. Okay, And that's kind of almost a cruel God, in my opinion who would say, it's kind of like he's up there looking down on us, doesn't really want to bless us, doesn't really want to answer our prayers, but if we can muster up where we don't have any doubts at all that it's going to happen, then he says, all right, I'll give it to you. I just don't, I don't see that. In fact, why don't you look at Matthew 9, verse 27. We see this idea, what I'm proposing, that you simply have to believe that he's able to do it. Matthew 9 Verse 27 through 30. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men approached him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? The NIV says, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Can or able is the same thing. They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were open. See, the faith they had, they believed he was able to, not necessarily that he was going to, but they believed he was able to, and that was enough faith to bring about the healing. Uh, We see an example of this in Daniel. Turn to Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Here we see where... Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Benny are being uh, about to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar told them they needed to bow down to his idol, and they refused. And so he's threatening to throw them into the fiery furnace. And this is, look at their response. Daniel 3.16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. 
If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. They're trusting in God and his plan, and his plan made it very clear, do not worship false idols. And so they refused to do that no matter what the, uh, the consequences that would take place. But notice they said, we believe God can rescue us. In fact, it seems like they believe that he very well might rescue them, but he does say, but even if he doesn't. We're not bowing down to that, that statue. So notice here, they had this biblical faith. They believed that he, God can do it. And that's enough faith because they were rescued, by the way. Didn't even smell like smoke after coming out of the fiery furnace. I want to tell a story. I've shared this before, but I think it fits this uh, point that I'm making uh, Jack Frank, Frank, a good friend of mine, he was an elder in our church in Colorado. When we uh, were together in Colorado, he was diagnosed. He had, they found hundreds of polyps in his colon. And, uh, and so the doctor said that even if they aren't cancerous right now, if they remove them, this kind of thing, They'll, they will simply come back and eventually be cancerous, and so you need to remove the colon. And that was the doctor's recommendation. And obviously, uh, he was distraught, so he sought a second opinion. He went to another doctor. Now, they didn't remove the polyps because they're planning on removing the colon, so they didn't remove the polyps. Well, so he goes and gets the second opinion. It was the same thing. They said the same thing, you know, that this is what you need to do. So then he decided, I'm going to go to the best of the best. I'm going to go down to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, but first I'm going to get prayer. And the Bible says, if any of you is sick, let him call the elders. They will call, and the prayer and faith will anoint with oil, and the prayer of faith will make the person well. So he says, I want you to pray for me. Well, I told Jack, I said, you know, I'm from Rochester. I'll go with you, so let's pray, and then I'll go with you, and, uh, and uh, I can visit my family and so forth, but I can be there for you. And, uh, and so uh, we prayed for him, and then we went down to Rochester. Um, when he got there, the doctor there examined him, and this is what he told him. He said, you don't have any polyps in your colon, we just found a few nubs, and that's it. And Jack said to him, he looked him straight in the eye, he said, I'm a Christian, and I got prayer. And you saw the results because the doctor sent the results to you and showed you they did not remove the polyps. And he said, yes, you're absolutely right. He says, I'm a Christian too. I guess we know where the polyps went. And that was a miracle. He was healed with that way. By the way, Maria, if you know Maria Oman in our, in our church, uh, she uh, was just diagnosed with her uh, colon is dying, is what they said, and they're taking her to Rochester today. Uh, so be in prayer for her, because, and we went and prayed for her yesterday, uh, prayed for her to, you know, I even shared with her this story. You know, I thought, Lord, you could do it again, Right? Okay, so we're praying. But we believe God is able to do that because of who God is. Not necessarily that he's going to, but that he is able to do it. John MacArthur, in his commentary, 
He says this. He says, but faith in God is immeasurably more reliable and more important than the practical everyday faith by which we live. And it is far from being simply faith in something. Faith is only as reliable and helpful as the trustworthiness of its object. And Christian faith is powerful and effective because the object of faith, Jesus Christ, is infinitely powerful and absolutely dependable. Christian faith never fails because the one in whom that faith is placed never fails. And so we trust in Christ and that he can do this because he's all-powerful. We believe God is able to do it. But the second part of this biblical faith is that we believe God will do it unless unforeseen to us. It would not ultimately benefit us or advance the kingdom of God. In other words, it doesn't fit into God's plan. We don't know, so we seek the Lord. We believe he's able. We believe he's going to unless he thinks and sees better. And of course, we want his plan, not our own plan. In fact, an example of this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Why don't you look at that? 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we see Paul has uh, described the uh, a thorn in the flesh uh, after these great visions that he received in order to keep him humble. This is what it says, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Whatever this thorn in the flesh is, it is actually a messenger of Satan. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Notice here. He prays for God to remove this thorn in the flesh, actually prays three times, then God says, no, I'm not going to remove this. I have plans for this. Now, this doesn't mean you should pray for something three times and then quit, okay? What we see here is you pray for it until God says no or does it, okay? And so we seek the Lord and we, we ask him over and over and we, we plead with him, but sometimes he says no. And that's what we see in this example as well. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 really actually summarize what all the other verses talk about when they speak of faith. And everything should be filtered through this very powerful and important passage. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, he says this. This is the confidence we have before him. That word Confidence is the same idea here. Faith is the reality or confidence of what is hoped for. This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. And so, when we ask in accordance to his will, we know he's going to do it, okay? In fact, it says we know that we have what we have asked of him. Now, some people think that means 
Uh, we know that we already have it, but that's thinking 21st century thought, you know, modernist and postmodernist. In the first century, they actually would speak of the future in a past tense when it was absolutely certain that it was going to happen, okay? So he's not saying it already happened, but it is certain that it's going to happen when you pray according to his will. That idea of in accordance to his will is the same thing that we see in John 14, 13, when he says, if you pray in my name, what you ask you will receive. To pray in the name of Christ means to pray in his leadership, under his authority, when he says, and of course he's in control, so it's the same thing as praying in accordance to his will. You don't, it doesn't mean tack on the phrase, in the name of Jesus, okay? Because then I could say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, give me a million dollars. You know, that's, a, that, that's not what it means. It means under his authority, under his leadership. Same, it's really the same thing as saying in accordance to his will. Same as John 15, 17, when it says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will ask for whatever you will. When I'm abiding in Christ... I'm praying in accordance to his will. I'm hearing his voice and so forth. And so, so all of these ideas, that's what it's speaking of there. We pray, if it's according to his will, it does happen, okay? Um, James 4, 2, by the way, says you don't have because you don't ask. So we pray. We seek the Lord. We ask him. And if it fits into his will, and by the way, we would not want anything that doesn't fit into his will. He, real faith believes he knows far better than I know what is good for me, okay? But with that kind of faith, we can see incredible things happen sometimes. I can think of three times I'm sure there's got to be others, but I can think of three times where I've prayed for people who had diabetes. Uh, when, when I prayed for them, Fred, Ross, and Dan, different times, Fred and Ross both were healed of diabetes. I don't know whether it was type 1 or type 2, but I do know they were taking insulin, and they got healed and never had to take insulin again. Uh, but I prayed for Dan, same thing, nothing happened. And out of the three, Dan had the closest relationship with Christ. I mean, Dan, the other two were kind of, you know, on the fence at times in their walk with Christ. So you wonder, well, Lord, why didn't you bless this guy who's really, you know, living a holy life before you? But God gets to decide, not us, okay? We pray he does whatever is according to what is ultimately beneficial to us and will advance the kingdom of God. And so we trust in him, but we ask and sometimes see amazing things take place. Now, the best results come when we hear from him. An amazing passage of Scripture is John 5.19. John 5.19, Jesus actually says, the Son can do nothing apart from what he sees the Father doing. Now, that's quite a, quite a statement. When Jesus was on this earth, he says he couldn't do anything except what he saw the Father doing. And I think that's an example to us. Now, Jesus, we know from Mark chapter 1, that he, on a regular basis, would early in the morning 
Go out, find a deserted place, and there's pray to the Father. So he spent time with the Father. He would listen to the Father, get his marching orders, so to speak, for the day, and go out and do all the stuff that he did, right? Okay, so, but he's listening to the Father. Rather than trying to get God in on your plan, you're hearing from God, and you're getting in on his plan. And his plan's far better than ours. Okay, but as you're listening and you sense something, that's when you're probably going to see more results in your prayers, just as Jesus did as well. Now, for us, it is possible that we could hear incorrectly, right? You know, I sense it's going to do this, and we pray, and it doesn't happen. That's possible, right? Because it's possible for us to hear incorrectly, but it's better to act and miss than not to act at all. You're praying. You're not sure. Boy, I think that might have been God. Let's go pray. You know, we really felt strongly. Let's go pray, you know, when, for Maria in the hospital, you know. And I'm, I'm really asking the Lord. Lord, even right now, we ask, heal her. Bring to life her colon. And wouldn't it be cool if we get to hear next week that story? But if we don't, maybe I miss, maybe I didn't hear right, or maybe it's not the right time or whatever, okay? So we can miss, but if you don't ask, if you don't step out, whatever it is that God's calling you to, you're going to miss out, right? And it could be not just for praying for healing. It could be, you know, you sense from the Lord you're supposed to go to Mozambique, right? Well, you sense, oh, that can't be God, you know? He doesn't want me to give my life up for missions and do great things and exploits for the, in the name of Jesus. He didn't want me to do that. He wants me to sit comfortably at home and watch TV, right? Probably not. Okay, so listen, and you step out, and you act, and that's when you begin to learn the voice of the Lord, and you see things happening. Now, back to my original definition, you hear God's word, and you believe it with all your heart. Uh, faith changes us. Faith is believing uh, something is so real that it affects the direction of your life. That's what I mean by believing with all your heart. So are you stepping out in faith on a regular basis, sometimes even falling on your face, kind of looking dumb? It's okay, right, to look stupid? Because we already do, right? Okay, so you step out. And sometimes you trip or whatever, but you're learning. If you never step out, you're never going to ride the bike, that's for sure. So we, are you playing it safe? Or are you living on the cutting edge for God and his kingdom? Stepping out in faith. Faith is what pleases God. That's what we see in verse 2. Chapter 11, it says, For by it our ancestors won God's approval. By faith, not by their works, okay? When Abraham, Abraham, it doesn't say God blessed him or whatever because of his good works. It says that he counted his faith as righteousness. Abraham trusted in God. He believed in God. And this is, is what we see here. Uh, now, by the way, Unbelief is sin. Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6 make that very clear. Unbelief is sin. 
when you're not sure if God can do it, when you're wondering, is God's love really there for you? Uh, unbelief questions God's existence, his power, his wisdom, and his love. And God doesn't like that. Nobody likes being called a liar, right? Especially the only completely truthful and trustworthy being, God. He does not like being called a liar, and he calls us to trust in him, to believe in him. And so we see that this is what pleases God. Now, this approval is an eschatological approval. It means it, it's the, the approval is we're blessed, especially in the future. Uh, Albert Moeller speaks of this. He says, approval does not just refer to temporary material blessings. Rather, this is the final eschatological approval, an eternal commendation instead of an eternal condemnation. It is important to remember that these are the only two options, commendation or condemnation. There is no third alternative. On the day of judgment, we will either be approved in Christ or we will be condemned without him. And that's how serious this is. We've got to get this thing called faith correct. This is what pleases God. The Old Testament saints uh, trusted in God's provision for their salvation. Even in the Old Testament, you were not saved by your works. You were saved by your faith in God's provision. We saw that with Abraham, even with Moses, when he brought the sacrificial system. That was God's provision for forgiveness. It wasn't works and ceremonies. It was their trust in God's provision. The, The animal died instead of them substitutionary atonement. Obviously, from what we've seen in the book of Hebrews, pointing, those animals pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His death on the cross brought about the forgiveness of our sins when we simply trust in Him, trust in His provision. That's how they were saved in the Old Testament. That's how we're saved in the New Testament. And any system of salvation that makes works a condition or cause rather than a fruit of salvation is a false gospel that will not save the person. And this is very serious. There's a lot of things we can disagree agreeably on, but God expects us to have the right God and the right gospel. And so we dare not get this one wrong. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Here we see what Paul has to say about grace and faith. Ephesians 2, verse 8, he says, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Now he goes on to say in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. 
So God does want us to do good works. In fact, he has this incredible plan. If we'll simply step out in faith, we can see all these amazing things that God will do through us. But he's very clear in verses 8 and 9. You're not saved by the works. You're saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. Now, where did I get the word alone? We see that in Romans chapter 11, verse 6. So turn there, another important passage where Paul defines what grace is. And we've got to make sure we get this one right. If we're saved by grace through faith, we need to understand what grace is because we want to be saved, right? Okay, look at what he says in chapter 11, verse 6. Now, if by grace, then it is not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. In other words, it has to be one or the other. It's either grace or it's works, but it cannot be both by the very definition of grace. So if you have a plan where you think you're saved by your grace and works, that's an oxymoron according to this verse that it's either grace or works. If it's works, then, it's, then grace ceases to be grace. So the moment you even add any works to the equation of what I'm saved by, then you have a false gospel. And so that's how serious he makes it. He explains more in Galatians chapter 3. So turn to there. By the way, the book of Galatians is the only book the only letter where Paul doesn't say anything nice to the people he's writing to, okay? Uh, all the other letters, he starts out with something nice. Even the Corinthians, and those guys were serious sinners, okay? And he, but even them, he starts out by saying something nice. But with the Galatians, he just cuts to the chase because they're messing with the gospel. And you dare not mess with the gospel, at least according to Paul. That's what he says. So look at Galatians chapter 3. Verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? By the way, did you notice there, he's assuming that God's doing miracles in the Galatian churches because God likes to do that kind of stuff. So that's why I'm saying, pray. I believe God wants to do incredible things here in our church, okay? But you gotta step out and pray, all right? Well, anyway, back to the point here. Just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Notice verse 5 is synonymous with verse 3. Beginning by the Spirit, you're now finishing by the flesh. Beginning by grace, are you now trying to do it by the works of the law? You don't start by grace and finish by works. You start and finish and everything else, it's all by grace. That's how we're saved. He says in verse 11, now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. So no one is justified by their works. If they're trying to be justified by their works, they actually miss it. He makes this clear in chapter 5, 
verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. So if you try to be saved by the law, by works, you're actually not saved. Even if you just add it to the grace thing, because then we see that that's no longer grace. He even says back in chapter 4, verse 30, drive out the slave and her son. He's using that Old Testament passage to refer, really Paul is implying that the Galatian churches should drive out those who are perverting the gospel. This is how serious it is. And so faith is what pleases God. He loves it when you trust in him, when you lean on him, when you believe in him and him alone. Uh, Some people say, you've probably heard this, ah, you Christians, you just need Jesus as a crutch. And I say, oh, no, he's a stretcher. I need him totally and completely, totally and absolutely surrendered to him. So faith is what pleases God. So what? Okay, I love that picture. Move move the mountains. Okay. By the way, if you remember, back in the earlier parts of Hebrews when we were going through and it was talking a lot about angels, if you remember, I asked you to share with me your angel stories, okay? And it was really great uh, to hear many of those stories. It was just awesome uh, that you really did have these encounters that God is still alive and doing this kind of stuff. Well, now that we're going to be working through this section here on faith, I would love to hear some of your stories as well. How has God come through? Answer to prayer in your life. I'd love to hear your stories because uh, I might share some of them as well. So, you know, it'd be nice to hear because I bet you if we all just had a time right now in sharing, we'd probably be here all day long. And then I'd miss the Vikings game because I'm going to the game actually tonight. Okay, so. But anyway, I get sidetracked. Okay. Share with me your stories, uh, your mountain-moving stories, and, and I would love to hear them, okay? But back, back to this. So what? In, spi- in, in light of all of this, we need to understand God is angry with unbelief. He does not like to be called a liar. And God wants to do so much more in your life and in this church I want to hear stories, contemporary stories, where you're stepping out even this week and say, you know what happened to me this week? (laughs) No, tell me. Okay, that's what I want to hear, right? He wants to do so much more in our lives if we will step out and put our trust in him and begin to pray, okay? But are you willing to put your trust in the Lord? to the extent that it actually makes a difference in your life. Let's pray. Father, we do confess that we're not perfect. And sometimes we even struggle in our faith. And so we do pray that prayer I believe, help my unbelief. But I pray that you would help each person here and strengthen their faith. 
that you would draw them close to you. They would hear your voice afresh. You would move their mountains. I'm sure there are many things right now here where your people are going through heartaches and hardships and difficulties in life. I ask that you give them the strength to get through it. And I also ask that you remove it if it be your will. Show us your power, Lord. And we're willing. I ask that you would call us out onto the waters and into the deep. And we will walk because you are faithful. Do this great work, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Worship our God.